Hello everyone, I'm Nicholas Stewart, Strategy Director at Complete College America, and welcome to CCA on the Air. Today I'm joined by Patrick Frazier, Vice President at Acadium, and Robert Mitchell, who's a Registrar at Diller University in New Orleans, to talk about course sharing. So let's get started. Uh, Patrick, I was wondering if you could give us uh, a brief overview of what course sharing is and you know the benefits of this in terms of uh, you know, student success agenda and uh, helping students progress towards their, their graduation. Yeah, thanks, Nicholas. So there's a lot that course sharing can be used for. And let's kind of back up a little bit in the history of just what is, what is consortial course sharing. A lot of people know the term consortia is just a partnership between institutions for a common mission. And whenever you throw the word course sharing into that, it adds a little bit more detail into course sharing consortia means groups of schools working together and sharing their open seats in courses. And this has been going around for different decades, really, but it's usually a, a hyper local thing, right? There's five schools in one city and you're talking to a student and that student says, well, I, I need this course um, or I'm really interested in this other course and we don't offer it or I have sports practice at the time, this course that I need or I'm trying to make up time in the summer, but you don't offer the courses that I need. Like, what can I do? Well, in that world, the registrars would just call each other up and say, hey, can my student take your course? And the beauty of this model though, is that it's not a transfer credit. That's what's different and that's what's new for a lot of people. It's not a transfer credit. So in that environment, the student is talking to their home institution and saying, hey, your catalog isn't really fitting my needs. How can I go get access to someone else's catalog, get into that course and then maintain progression? Well, whenever you're in a local environment, that just means the student going to someone else's campus and taking that course. In the online environment, what that means is that we can start to leverage each other's online courses to then just create a secondary catalog that's far more robust than our own. So start times can be unique. We can double the amount of offerings to, to, to meet the needs of every single student. And that's where I think this really has a student success component is that we're always trying to provide access, trying to find innovative ways for students to maintain progress. And that's what this allows us to do. So the role that, that Acadium plays is how do we make this simpler? Because many organizations have, or many institutions have tried to do this, but it's really sometimes really kind of complicated. So you need someone like us to be able to do that. But what we're able to then do is bring schools together so that they can start to use each other's courses. And so that's where we're going to start this kind of general understanding of what consortial course sharing is. It's, I have a student sitting in front of me, they need a course. How can I get it? I have five students in an under-enrolled course. I don't want to cancel it because they need it. What do I do? I have five students on a wait list. I can't justify opening a new section. What do I do? I have a student that needs to regain eligibility over the summer. I don't have the course they need to do grade recovery. What do I do? All of those things is what we can help with. And so Robert can give you a little bit of idea in practice. What does that look like? And what has he done at Dillard? Thank you, Patrick. Um, you know, it's Acadium has been um, very resourceful for us here at Dillard University. Um, it has helped students to graduate. Um, we've had a student who was out, of, was out of school for roughly seven to eight years, and he was able to complete his degree due to Acadium of a course that was essentially a spring course, but he was in, enrolled in the fall, and that was very helpful. Um, here at Dillard University, we are a small institution, historical black college institution, that is 
roughly 1,200 students. And so our course offerings is not of a large institution where you can offer a lot of courses in each sec in each semester. Um, we have to pretty much stick to these are fall courses, these are spring courses, and maybe offer a section here and there um, of a section that's of a course that's off track. But Acadium affords us the ability to say, hey, you know, although English 112 may be a spring course, we can offer English 112 through the fall as well through Acadium. And you have a transfer student, you have a student who needs to get back on track or for whatever reasons, uh, athletic eligibility. Acadium afforded us that opportunity to do that. Um, something key that Patrick said was about the transcripts, um, the, the transcript piece and then the grades, right? Well, it takes the onus off the students when the final grades are coming in. We don't have to tell, we don't have to remind the student to make sure you give us that transcript because when you are with Acadium, because the schools are consortial, you get the grade. It's, the grade is actually put into the portal and you get a lot of notifications. I will say this, Acadium sends you a lot of notifications and I love notifications. You get a notification once you've done the request. You've done a notification once you approve the request. request. Your notification once the request has been approved. You get a notification once it starts. So it essentially eliminates the gray area of someone saying, I do not know what's going on with my Acadium course. Um, it also eliminates the gray area of just the burden of, of trying to make sure you get that grade and the early warning alerts that you receive through Acadium is also beneficial for us because when I get those emails, I'm able to say, hey, student, we received this email and I copy their academic advisor on that email as well. So now it, it creates a community uh, situation where we're all caring about the student. The student says that, wait, somebody actually cares about what's going on with me so that the student will be successful and pass the course. I, I'm glad you guys mentioned that uh, the, the the history, I guess, of the uh, consortium. Because I I remember when I was at a, at a campus, uh, what we we called them transient students. You know, like a student who's trying to take a course at another college or university in the same metro area and, and things like that. And the paperwork, oh man, that man, the paperwork was complicated for the student, for the registrar, for, I mean, everything, obviously the grade and the communication between the, the instructors and the, and all that. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit more about like from a student's perspective, like how, how easy is it uh, or how complicated is it? Uh, I mean, what, what does it look like? Like if I'm a student, like you said, like I'm, I'm an adult, for example, or, or whatever, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm doing things, things and what the institution is providing me uh, either because it's, uh, it's off term, if you will, or it's at 11 a.m. Uh, the, the course that I need, but I can't take it at that time. Like, what, what do I do? Like, how, can, uh, how does it work for me if I'm a student? Yeah, so first, I'll, I'll explain, yeah, I'll explain what, what it is when you don't do it this way. And then Robert, you can explain what you actually do, okay? Right. So if you find some of the paperwork, it's not hard to find, quick Google search, name of institution, consortial paperwork. All of these, uh, there's the different rules depending on the crediting regions, but each individual school is gonna have their own policies and they put the onus on the student. So the student needs to first find the course that solves the problem. So that means the student has to go on their own to find, look up the catalog of another institution and figure out that that course from the peer institution will work for them. Then they hopefully, have to get- Hopefully, hopefully will work for them, yeah, transfer. Right? Yeah. So they have to figure that out. And so if they're gonna do it through transfer, that's one whole process where they have to do all this. If they're gonna do it through consortial paperwork, they have to get the advisor's approval, their, their, possibly their 
dean's approval or their department chair. They have to get their registrar's approval. They have to get all these signatures and then go to the teaching institution. So keep in mind in consortial frameworks, you know, Robert called them the KDM courses. Those are other universities' courses. We're just the we're just the the network provider. So they're taking it from a peer institution, another regionally accredited college that you are saying is a peer in this process. So that consortial paperwork, the student has to get all of these signatures, run around campus, and my own intern. By the time he got that paperwork filled out, the course closed at the other institution. It said it took two months for him to get the approval, and then by the time it happened. The course it closed and he got blocked out. So that's what happens if you're doing it through this paper process. But then for the transfer process, that means that the student just goes rogue, right? You don't necessarily know that the student's doing that. Maybe you have a pre-approval process for transfer credits, but once the student's at that other transfer institution, you're not getting midterm alerts. You're not getting any sort of feedback. The And then once the course ends, it's on the student to figure that out. And the student had to pay for it, possibly out of pocket, Right. None of Pell applied, no financial aid applied. So they had to do all of this on their own and then get it back to you. So that's what happens under normal circumstances. And we do this all the time. And we expect the student once again to navigate these really complex hurdles. And if you're first gen, I mean, I had a hard time, enough time just registering. Right. I'm not going to figure out how to do it at multiple institutions. Right. So that's hard to do under normal circumstances. So, Robert, what, what are y'all doing that's different? I'm happy you said that. So it's a great leeway. Um, segue to what I was getting ready to say. I mean, so we have this thing at Dill University called the course outside of Dilla form, which is essentially our transient form, consortium form, or what have you. Um, that form, as, he, as Patrick mentioned, you have to go through all those different steps to get those things signed. Um, and that's a lot of steps. But the Acadium process, you, you can click on the link from your phone, you can click on the link from your from home or what have you, and you can search for whatever course that you need and when you click on that course, it will tell you whether or not that course has been approved or not. The approval process is when we look at the course and say that this course matches this course. If that course has been approved, you know that when I select this course, this course is gonna take the place of the course that I'm trying to take, I'm gonna give the grade for that course. Nice. If for some, for some reason that course has not been approved, because again, there's over 200 plus universities on Acadian, there's thousands of courses. So you know, naturally we're not gonna have an opportunity to approve every single course. But there's this wonderful search engine at the bottom of Acadium for our students that says, hey, you don't you don't see the course you need, let us know. And you put in you enter that information. And what that does is it sends us an email and says, hey, we found these courses for, that your students looking for. Can you approve them? What that does is that allows us to approve those courses and it eliminates all that paperwork and it gives a sense of, of confirmation that, yes, once I'm successful in this course, this course is going to come back for this course and it will help in my degree audit, my degree plan, et cetera. Um, so for us, I'm the point of contact. I receive all the requests that comes through. Um, during registration time, it can be a bit crazy because, you know, you're dealing with emails from your normal registration process and you have yeah. emails with your other with, with Acadium. But overall, it's been beneficial. The other beneficial piece too is that the courses are asynchronous, right? So it doesn't affect your class schedule uh, that you have in place here with a, a Monday, Wednesday course that meets at 11 o'clock. And you can take that course. Since COVID been in place, there are certain institutions who are having online asynchronous and online synchronous courses. And so if there's an online synchronous course that you need, you can't take that course if you have another course that does that at the same time. 
a kidding affords you that opportunity to not have to have that situation occur to you and still remain on task to complete your degree in time. Yeah, Robert, that's, that was a big thing that I think a lot of people learn because of COVID. They initially thought that doing these consortial course sharing was just the easiest way to get access to online courses, but they're realizing it's actually about extending the catalog, which might mean having those asynchronous courses that maybe you don't have yourself. So it's that secondary catalog that is just totally different than what you already offer. That's actually what you need to solve those problems because the students' problems are infinite, right? Mm -hmm. You can't meet 100% of the student demand for 100% of the courses that you've ever offered. It's just not possible, but it is required in order for them to find the fastest path to graduation. So creating this secondary catalog through these course approvals and looking at these equivalent courses, looking at syllabi, looking at faculty credentials, looking at you know, the, the regional accreditations. One of the first calls that we were on, Robert, your, your, your provost said, if it's approved by SACS, I'm a fan. Yeah, we're, we're good, right? It needs, to be, it needs to be under a certain price and it needs to right. be approved by SACS. That's my, that's my initial filter. And then let's, let's get a little bit deeper in the nitty gritty. So being able to create that secondary catalog of those asynchronous courses, that's, that's, that's the magic behind this, that it then opens up just tons of doors of new things that you can do for the student. And can I add to that too? Um, the other piece is that from the faculty low perspective, right? It assists with us not having to do so many independent study courses. It assists with us not having to do a faculty overload that will cost the institution additional finances, right? So as I look at our summer course offerings, when we, when we created our summer schedule, we created it with a academy in mind, right? And essentially like, well, there's no need to make sure that we offer all of these courses because Acadium has shown us that these courses are pretty regular. So we can possibly get these courses in the summertime where we can allow some of our, our, our STEM faculty who wants to do a lot of research during the summertime because they can't really do their research during the fall and spring, right? So this allows us to look at some of those courses that are offered in the summertime for faculty load purposes. It allows our students to take courses that um, it traditionally have low enrollment because of the small, how small we are in the university to see we're offering those courses at Acadium so that professors say, well, you know what? I don't have to have a class that's five students, right? I can take that faculty member and put that faculty member in another course and have an additional section of a need-based course here on campus. Yeah. So I mean, the one thing I love about this is that it's, it's very student-friendly. You know, like you, you, yeah. you mentioned that like, you know, the, the step for a student to register in a course that they need or that they need to either in terms of like you know progression uh, for their majors or you know credit accumulation or whatever it is is a simple click and the institutions have done all the work you know like they've they've obviously you know agreed in most cases you know for the that the course will count towards their their own degrees you know at a home institution uh towards that um the not necessarily want to talk about the the money aspect of it but we may have to talk about that because obviously i think that that's something that uh, for those of us who, uh, you know, for those, uh, for those folks who are listening to us may go like, yeah, but what does that look like in terms of financially? But the financial benefit of the student is again, the pale can, you know, and their, their financial aid covers that because you're still registering through your home institution technically for that. So let, let's, let's just, you know, talk about the elephant in the room. And, you know, so what does it look like in terms of the financial aspect from the institution, because there, I can see a lot of folks who may looking at this like, but my credit hours, I need those seats, you know, like I know I need those hours, like that tuition. So what does it look like if I'm registering, if I'm at, 
from a Dillard student and I'm registering through a course, you know, through uh, the consortium, what, what does that look like financially? Um, for us at Dillard, so each institution can determine how they want to set this up um, in their module, right? So we are gyms of our schools, so we have chosen to do it a certain way. Um, essentially what happens here at Dillard is they register for, they request a course to Wikidium. Um, and then once the course has been approved by the, by the visiting institution, we then put that course on their Dillard University transcript, well, class schedule, and they're paying the tuition and fees of Dillard University, right? On the, the, the business side of it is um, we are charged per course and Acadium in our business finance office has something set up where they would draw that money from the university's account. Now I'm saying the raw and dirty, there's some very technical ways that business finance, like I say that, that's <laughs> in the other lane. I'm gonna stick to my lane. Um, but in my, in my world, their pill or their financial aid in, in our scholarships can pay for the course because essentially it's a Dillard University course. The course is being registered at Dillard University. Um, and so the greatest is going to show the university course now in. And again, every institution has a has their own way of doing it. Um, what helpful what was helpful for us, we was talk, we talked with another institution here at Genzabar. They kind of showed us what they were doing. We're like, you know what? We like that and we kind of changed some things from our end. And so if they're taking the course that called that's English 113 at another institution, um, but it's equivalent to our English 112 here, they will see 112 on the student's university transcript on the university's class schedule. So it won't be any confusion, but we still have the records here and file those records on file of the final grade that may have come in. And we identify the academic course you won't see it as an Acadian course in the student's transcript, but you will see it on their schedule that it is an Acadian course. Yeah, and so just to explain a little bit more for the viewers, because they might be thinking, okay, well, what is it that Acadian actually does? Like, what, what is this? Like, uh, so really it is the only college to college, university to university marketplace where you can shop for courses. So if you're a teaching institution, that means that you have robust online offerings with open seats and you say, you know what, I'd rather sell this seat at a discount. Maybe I charge my own student $1,000 for it, but at this point, this seat, this course always runs at 80% capacity, that 20% overload, like I, I would rather have a student in that. So I'm gonna sell it to a peer at a discount so that when they charge their student, they have a margin, right? So they're, they're, no one's really, people are able to recover tuition dollars this way. So the teaching institution, they have a margin, the home institution, they're charging their regular student rate. So that's really what this is. It's the only college to college and, and university to university marketplace where you can go in and say, how many schools are out there teaching physics this summer asynchronously online? Because I have three students who need it with a lab and I can't, I don't have that. So what do I do? So that's, that's really, the value here is that marketplace where you can shop around based on what you're looking for and the criteria that matter to you as far as, is it quality matter certified? Is it from this accrediting region? What's the price point? Those types of things. Or is it someone I know? Is it in my own state system? So that's that's where this is coming from. That's what the business model is. And I just think about what it allows schools to do. I had a conversation with a, with a AVP of student success. So it was a 15 to finish school a couple of years ago and asked her what was the hardest part about getting students to take 30 hours in a year? She said, well, our students work. We're 60% first gen students of color. We all, they all work. And 
it doesn't matter how many advising conversations we have with them, their lives are too complicated to be able to get them to 30 courses a year. So this is the easiest way to be able to say, well, how can we fill in those gaps where our students can't take more? Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to help with. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned 15 to finish because I think that to me, that's, that's something that uh, that type of course availability allows for you know the flexibility of 15 to finish so again to to reach 30 hours per year you know on the on the time and at the time that the student is able to take those classes uh still needed you know classes for them to to graduate i think that to me uh you know we're, we're talking about 15 to finish slash you know stay on track especially for the the, the part-time students that too i think allows uh that flexibility especially when you talk about some in, uh, other institutions that may have uh, condense semesters so that you're able to actually, you know, maybe take one additional course in the last eight weeks of fall semester or into term or, or, or things like that. So in terms of credit accumulation, I can see like how course sharing and, and you know, and consortia uh, model uh, for 15 and finish, it helps for flexible scheduling. Um, and for, for adults, again, that uh, in some cases right now, and I'm saying adults, but basically, anybody who's working and has you know, other responsibility, like uh, who needs that flexibility that your institution may not be able to provide uh, because of they may not offer um, you know, evening classes or not as many of them, or maybe that particular term, your, your, your schedule needs to be a little bit more flexible because of, I don't know, like you know, job or uh, childcare or, or things like that. So to me, I can see so many different applications to CCA strategies and how they contribute to, again, student progression. And, and one thing I have to say is that the, the, the loving of, you know, the early alert and the, the communication. So again, the home institution is not in the dark and the student is not left to their own devices. And like, you know, good luck for that online class that we don't know anything about. Um, we're actually keeping track of that, uh, that process and things like that. Hey, Nicholas, just to yep. add to that, um, there's a, a student who just signed uh, a professional um, contract for a basketball, right? One of our student athletes, he's done with eligibility. But I got an email just yesterday from his assistant coach that said that, hey, um, you know, he just signed his contract, um, but he wants to finish his degree. Can he do that through Acadian? And that is what, that's the, 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 the icing on the cake, right? Because the program that he's in, we don't offer that the online courses in the particular program, but through Acadian, that this young person will have an opportunity to pursue his dreams as being a professional basketball player overseas and still complete his degree at Dill University because Acadian afforded us that opportunity. So my job now is to do what I can to find the courses he needs through Acadium, which again, I don't think is going to be a huge challenge. Um, and I think the courses that they, I probably cannot find, his, his chairperson will work with him, right? But that wasn't an option for us Before, a couple of yeah. years ago, right? And I think that that's the beauty of this, of this program, it's partnership rather, that we still get to get our retention, our graduation rate up. We still get a lot of students to reach their dreams. And then as it talks about our programs that we have here of introducing other online programs, other non-traditional students, right? You talk about adult students, the non-traditional students who don't have time to 
work at eight to five and then try to run to Dillard University in, in Gentilly and, and, and come to class and sit in the classroom when you are a mother or a father or whomever. You can take this asynchronous course and still, you know, meet your, your, your wants and your needs and your dreams. Awesome. That is awesome. Uh, just really quickly, last question, I guess. And it, it's, um, it's about the who needs to be involved because I, I Obviously the registrar, Robert. I think that, you know, obviously, <laughs> and, and probably the, hopefully, I mean, everything that deals with courses, registrar has to be in there. Uh, but to me, I think that to me, that too is also, I think a kind of an instru institutional transformation aspect of it, you know, cause like you're rethinking about the course scheduling and the registration aspect of it. So I can see that not just registrar, but I would imagine, well, I would think that faculty have to be involved at one point or another in terms of, you know, credit, uh, you know, articulation and uh, uh, approval for uh, for transfer uh, equivalency, I would think advising, uh, obviously, because they're the ones who are talking to students and students may not be aware of that. So who else, you know, can, can you tell me a little bit more about who on the campus needs to be like hands on with this? Yeah, it's, it's all those people. And what happens in academic affairs when we start those conversations is, is they have conversations every semester around the schedule, around faculty loads, around do we offer this or do we offer this and do we cancel this section and, and here's do we put these students over in here? So they're trying to figure that out. A lot of times there's no solution that they currently have. They just kind of scramble some of the same ways. Maybe we do an independent study here. Maybe we'll do faculty overload here. We'll solve it this way, this way, this way. So the provost and, and BPAs and CAOs and the deans and department chairs, they have those conversations all the time trying to figure that out. The same time provost is often thinking too should we add a winter semester should we add a may semester like should we add this program so they're always the owners of what is taught so that's really where we we kind of help them figure out what are those kind of continuous obstacles trying to get that data how many transfer courses do we bring in every summer and so that's usually a clue at things that students need and they leave us to go do it we kind of you know we, we need to get a, a handle on that so enrollment people are trying to figure that out and then it comes down a lot to the registrars, financial aid offices. Do they understand what, what's happening here, how to change some of their operations? It's not complicated. I mean, Robert can, can tell anyone that it's, it, it just requires you to sit down, be a little strategic in the short term, and then come up with your plan. And, and then it's pretty much uh, actionable from there. So it's, it's, it, it seems like an initial cross-campus uh, initiative, but it's not some large ERP scale type of 12 month transformative change and type of type of project. No, we just need to really figure out what is it that course sharing can help you do. And that's, that's going to be advising academic affairs, student services, all those groups, just getting in a room and talking it out and figuring out where to start. Excellent. Yes. And I would say on the student side, um, the customer service side will be more so of who's going to be the point of, the point of, the point of contact that's going to be handling all the requests for the students when they requested. Um, here at Dillard University, I've chosen to take on that responsibility. Um, eventually, we're going to share the approval responsibility with the academic affairs side of the house. Um, but for right now, we thought it was best for us to just handle it in the office because of the, the, the volume, the amount of volume we were, we were receiving. Um, um, but yes, academic affairs needs to be involved uh, as relates to the faculty side. Um, the registrar's office to be involved, but ultimately, ultimately, if you have a point of contact who's going to be that person, um, it's, it, it works wonderfully. I think so. The setup we have here at Dillard is that I ask for them to consult 
what their academic advisor as relates to why they need to take this course so that they understand what's going on. And the advisor understands the process because there are certain courses that people strongly recommend that you take at your home institution. They feel that you will be more successful at your home institution. So they may encourage you to remain home. Um, But there are certain courses that it may be beneficial to take somewhere else or what have you. Um, So I think that it's, again, the registrar's office is important, but it works best when you have a small institution that you have the the registrar involved because he or she can definitely kind of massage like. It's like when you tenderize the meat, you got to massage it, right? You got to make sure it's good and nice and tender before you put that steak on the grill. So, you know, I, I like to make sure I'm involved and in, in to help our students. And it helps with the customer service piece. And I'm really huge on customer service. I think customer service, is my opinion, in my opinion, is one of the most important things essential on a college campus, particularly at a smaller institution. And I, I'm glad that, you know, from uh, being New Orleans, you, you had to bring in the food aspect of it. Absolutely. Uh, nice metaphor. <laughs> that, that works really well with that. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for this. Uh, really appreciate this. I know that um, for, uh, for those of you listening, uh, you'll hear a lot more about course sharing and uh, consortium because uh, that's something that uh, I think at CCA, we believe that is a great uh, solution, quite honestly, a uh, great tool to support students in their progression towards their degree. So uh, keep uh, keep posted. You'll hear a little bit more information pretty soon about that, I'm uh, pretty sure. So again, guys, thank you, Patrick, Robert. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, really appreciate your, your comments and expertise on this. Awesome. Thanks, Nicholas. Thanks for having us.